<laughs> oh, it's a, such a treat to be in big church. It's not, it's not real church, but it's big church, and it's just so, so nice to be in here. Um, oh, oh, no, you haven't seen it out there, front now. yeah. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> I, um, I had the ultimate introvert uh, road trip. Uh, Friday, sad day, and it's the dream, so no one came with me, just me, Um, and I haven't done that, I think, in 23 years, Um, so obviously when I was seven, Um, (laughs) half a lifetime ago, actually, and it was just the best, because it was just me, and I did a lot of talking, just to myself, because I like to process things out loud, and I can't keep things on my head very well, and I did some national radio uh, listening, Matt, fa- Matt's favourite channel, um, and I, I did some singing of my own stuff, which was good that, you know, just me, and I did my best version of nature, which is watching it from a window, I was out in the nature driving, and uh, I did a little bit of overtaking, and... Uh, then some praying, because I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm a middle-aged lady driver. <laughs> I had to face that fact. Uh, so that was a little scary as well. But it was just great. And I thought I was just living this most reckless life, because I drove to Wellington uh, on a Friday. And, um, and I surprised my sister and went to my little niece's preschool breakup party. Um, which was super cute, and of course she didn't sing or face the front or perform in any way, so it was great. And then I crashed with them, and you don't crash, you know, with people when you're grown up, so I crashed on their couch, so that was pretty cool. And then I drove back, and I drove the other way under Amy's uh, direction, and um, was very brave coming over some very big hills. But I just had such a great time. I was so stoked, and it made me reflect on the fact that adulting is very hard. It's very hard. Yes. It's very, because I thought some of you have been doing it, you know, just a tad longer, and it's just, it's hard. And it's really hard at this time of the year because you realise you are the source of the magic and wonder. And I'm just... I'm just checking, not me primarily, you all, um, you know, close ears if you need to, but you know when you're a child, magic and wonder happens, and Christmas happens, and you build up, and you think you just cannot wait for it, and it takes ages, whereas now we're in the time frame, it just, it's happened, it's just come kind of at you like a slap, this is what happens, and if you want magic and wonder, you have to go to the warehouse, which is... <laughs> Which is not, this, it's a, that's a battle. That's an armour of God battle in there. And you have to, you know, you have to bake. Because I thought it would be nice to have, you know, Christmas baking. And then I realised that would be me doing that. And I didn't want to do that. But you, it's true, it is. It's true, you can buy Christmas, but then you have to go. No. So it is really hard as an adult to feel, you know, some Christmas joy. You actually have to work at it. You have to embrace it. And that's why Advent is designed for us, because it makes us stop and embrace it and think about it. And, and the difficulty in adulting, you know, we are the people that now talk about weather all the time. Whether, you know, what, what you've seen online compared to outside, whether it's different from last year. So there's... there's There's these signs of adulting, Christmas slapping you on the face, talking about weather all the time. If you're not there yet, there's time. It might maybe hit in your 30s or 40s. And another thing is pride in a vegetable garden. Who has got a vegetable garden? Yeah. It's great. I've never cared about that in my life before, but I care deeply about a vegetable garden. (laughs) 
and I like to talk comparatively and competitively with other people. I haven't posted photos, but it's coming. And we talk to it, and Luke and I talk about it like they're our children, lovely children, because they're very quiet and they stay outside. But you are so proud of the broccoli, you know, and, and you say to each other, have you seen, we've got a little bit of cauliflower, and I say, oh, I won't use it yet, you know, just look at it. There's, there's just this whole weird world of adulting that is just frightening, because you turn into those people that, you know, parented you themselves, and you're sliding towards them without any kind of ability to control it. <laughs> So um, I'm, want- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm wanting within myself and my encouragement to you is to hang on to Advent and make it your own and relish it and enjoy it and pace your way through it so that you can have that magic and wonder again and you can experience um, all the feels of Christmas because the day may be sapped from you as you try and orchestrate it, but the lead up won't be. And uh, we had a disastrous Christmas last year, like an official disastrous Christmas. We didn't uh, decorate the house here because we'd only been in our house for a few weeks. We went back to Christchurch. Um, My mother is a minimalist. And so she has a bamboo tree, which is a piece of bamboo. And, oh, mum, can you hear this? This is good. And um, that's it. That's the Christmas. That's the decoration. So just... No, like this. Yeah, a st- it's not a tree, it's a stick. And, and so there wasn't that feeling. And I, we weren't in the space because, we, you know, we were still unpacking and trying to get our kind of selves sorted. So we did Christmas and it was different. And, you know, when you're in another person's house, you, don't, you, know, you can't do all your traditions and things. Then on Boxing Day, one by one, we came down with possibly a norovirus, a very violent, no details required, but the full violent, violent sickness. So possibly that happened on Christmas Day, no one's pointing fingers, but it, it, uh, it came to pass on Boxing Day, and we had moved from my parents' home to my in-laws. So I was violently ill at my in-laws' house, where we were going to be staying with them. We'd booked in to see all these people we missed terribly in Christchurch. We saw no one. We saw a lot of each other. Um, and they have a very, they have a big house at split level, so we were aware that our children were also being violently sick in other areas of the house, but we couldn't get to them. And it was, it was very low. It was a very low, sad time. And I just need you to feel that without me explaining all of... But, you know, there's a... In your in-law's house, you know. So I have been determined as of when we arrived back in Christchurch for New Year's uh, last year, well, the beginning of this year, that I would do Christmas well this year because that really was bad and I didn't want that to happen again. So I've been very intentional. I have my first driftwood Christmas tree to really signify that I'm a Napier of the Bay person. That was made by Luke and Joel, so that's very cool. We've decorated, we play carols, I'm doing my Advent devotional, I'm really determined, I've made a plan for Christmas when to buy the cherries and the lilies and the strawberries. I, for the very first time in my life, ordered a ham. Like actually, like not being someone who hears about people that orders ham, but actually ordered a ham. So you try that, it's fun. You ring and you book it, they don't even take a deposit, so it's a reckless kind of ordering. But I'm trying to be intentional in order to really make this Christmas feel really special. It's only the uh, ninth, so, you know, things could still go wrong. But um, 
as Advent, as I said, it's such a gift to us, and I really uh, want to encourage you to make it a time of preparation and stir those memories and really um, feel that it's visiting upon you and be really intentional about it. Because what happens is as we allow ourselves to reflect on Jesus' first coming and we remember what that was like, it builds up that expectancy in ourselves again, and we can bring it to mind and carry it with us and share that feeling. So that looking back helps renew our hope and think about his second coming. And I haven't, I've really had a revelation about Advent this year. I didn't realize that um, it was all so connected and it was all so significant. And it's been so lovely just to be in that season and to be in that posture of preparation. Not the busy stuff, because that's, you know, fun and tempting, but you can get kind of sucked into that. But that preparing your heart and really... Um, reaffirming what you believe and restabilizing your hope and being really aware. So that is decorating and carols and devotions and, and monitoring children's consumption of the Advent calendar. That's an important part as well. One per day as per the number on the little thingy. But Because that helps build in that sense of anticipation, that sense of build-up, because that is what Advent's about. And it's been so lovely, because I love a good build-up anyway, but you can get sucked into the other build-up. This is the build-up that you need to treasure and to be really intentional about. Um, it's been a really healthy thing, and that's why I wanted to speak to it today. Sometimes it can be hard, though, to connect with that, because we haven't been in the waiting period like the Israelites were. We haven't been at that first Christmas. It can be very hard to connect to that sense of longing, because we kind of know how the story ended, because, you know, Jesus was born. And then we live on this other side. So it can be hard to really authentically feel the emotion. Hard to put yourself right back there. And the way that that made sense to me is, um, if you haven't met Caspian, I've asked him if I can point at him and wave at him. Um, that's my eldest son, Caspian. Uh, he's as tall as me. Do a wave again. That's Cas. He's slightly taller than me. I'm not quite ready for that. Um, but it's, if I want to tell you about his birth, it's going to be really hard for you because you weren't there. Um, so that was good, but um, that was enough, enough trouble. But um, you can't picture him because you only know him as this, he's turned into this man child. And um, that's probably enough now, Cass, isn't it? So good, we get the picture. But uh, Cass was born premature. He was born six and a half weeks prem. And it goes like that, yeah. So that was maybe in the end quite lucky uh, that he was so little. He was uh, 1.9 kgs. And he was all skin and had no fat to fill it out. And he was only, he just got to the 40 centimetre long, could fit in my arm. And his head was quite small. And he was really little. And he spent, I had spent time in hospital quite sick. He spent time in the neonatal. I didn't see him for a few days when he was born. It was really hard, really, really scary. But I can't evoke that memory for you because you know that version of him. He turned out fine. Brain good, body good, all good. But he, um, I can't bring up those memories for you because you weren't there and you didn't see. Now, every time I look at him, I see that. And it, it took me a long time, even when he was growing and was still little, to realise that he was okay. Because it's that mother thing where you just picture them, you know, in the kind of disastrous state. He's more than okay, he, he tells me. He's good. But I, I can't evoke that memory entirely for you because you weren't there. And I've got that memory, and that memory is sitting in front of me all the time. But it's really hard to explain the, um, the smells and, and just that really kind of sterile environment of the neonatal unit 
and just that really, um, just every day, they, are, they don't give you hope. That's kind of what they run on. They would never tell you, you might come out in a few days or in a week, because they go day by day. Well, they actually go probably hour by hour. The way you get out of neonatal is you put on weight as a little baby. So they don't tell you. So you don't live in a state of hope and anticipation. You just exist with the thing that's in front of you. You just watch all the machinery around them and the beeps and the buzzing and and you just really hope, but you don't know what you're hoping in. You're just hoping you get out. And you watch other people leave, and people move through the nursery. The nursery's in kind of a semicircle, and it's significant if you move over to this side. So we'd always be like, oh, does that mean we've got better? We might go to the other room. But they don't tell you. Now, Cass managed to pass and get out after nearly a month, um, which is a relatively short stay, but just an eternity when you had expected to take a baby home. He got out by not pushing on weight, but by stabilising. So he, he bet the odds and kind of maintained. So we, we didn't know up to that minute, really, whether we let go. And you just live in a hopeless state, feeling very, uh, very lost, very dark, and you just literally look at the next thing in front of you, and you don't know if things are good or things are bad. And so for me, that same understanding of Advent is that I can look at him and reflect back so I can think about the longing that existed before we had the first Christmas. But that's what I really want to encourage you to do. Make that emotional connection. Just reading the genealogy in First Matthew, you know, that is, uh, is it four, three lots of 14, and each generation could be 44 years. You know, we're nearly 2,000 years of waiting. You know, reading through the prophets, talking about uh, how long, O oh Lord? How long will we wait? You know, there's a real sense of waiting that's built up right from the Garden of Eden. And that is what we need to emotionally connect with in order to really understand uh, the Christmas story and really understand Advent. Uh, Brian Zahn talks about um, Advent is carrying a theme of prophetic lament amidst the darkness of injustice with a God nowhere to be found. There's a real weight to the waiting. And we need to learn to wait and to quieten our souls, see what he'll do, see what he's working in us. We need to learn to foster that hope because, as you know, hope is a rare treasure in this world. So with Advent and preparing and being called to hope, it's a wake-up for us. It calls us to look up from our lives. It's not a hope that's wafty and iffy and maybe. It's a concrete assuredness. They waited, he came. As promised, he came. So we can do the same. As we wait, we know has come, will come. That's the only thing our hope is grounded in. That's the most definite thing that you can hold on to. And we must keep remembering forward. So remember and then think forward. We must make present that expectancy again for the Messiah. Share in that first waiting as we remind ourselves we're waiting and he is coming again. That's the thing that keeps our hope alive. And he does what he said he would do. That's a definite. So he will do what he said he will do. And that is our reason to hope. Um, Sam's talked a lot about the meta-narrative of the Bible. And if you've done the big picture, you would have heard you know, the, the different acts within the story. And I'm, I've kind of had an understanding of these stories as separate things. But it's really significant to me that these stories are part of a thread. And they're a message. Uh, the Bible is a whole story a unified story. And if we look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, we can see that he fulfilled all the longing that was expressed right from Genesis 
uh, the loss of relationship in the garden and their exile, right through to that, there was a promise already he would come again, he would deliver. There's always been a pursuit. We've always been not forgotten. And redemption has always been promised. There's a strong blessing through the line of Abraham. And sure, there's things get stuff up along the way all the time. Um, and in the end, the people were exiled uh, into Egypt, and there was the rule of Pharaoh, and there was this kind of feeling of a withering line. Will the promise actually materialize again? Once again, there is Moses. Same message. They will be delivered. A rescuer is coming. Now, I'm saying this very fast. This are generations of people. You know, this is time and not knowing. They don't know the end of the story. They only know what's in front of them. Even after the exodus and they carrying the presence of God with them, Joshua through to King David, even knowing the promise of the Davidic line, the same feeling of when will he come? They're exiled again uh, into Babylon, the same feeling. They kind of, Israel runs itself into the ground over and over again, but they have the same question. Is God true? Is he faithful? Will he return? Can we hope? How long do we wait? And these are very dark days that the prophets speak into very specifically, but they don't know the ending. So we read these prophecies thinking, oh yeah, that's exactly how it went. They didn't know. They didn't know. And um, the prophets' voices ring out again and again. They are promising the deliverer. They are promising the rescuer. And we heard last week uh, one of the readings for Advent Sunday from Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now they hadn't at that moment. It was 700 years before the Messiah came. So those words have been spoken into darkness and into uncertainty. But hope did come. This is what is so reassuring for us. These words were spoken into darkness, not knowing the end of the story. This is why we can hope. Those living in the land of deep darkness, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, but they didn't know yet. Unto us a son is given. So they spoke those words with assuredness. They had hope. And the hope um, was real. All the scriptures are whispering, the rescuer is coming. He is coming. He will do what he said he would do. We use, um, and I can't show you because they're using it in there now. We use the storybook Bible, the Jesus storybook Bible. If you've got any children in your life, I totally recommend it. It's a lovely children's Bible. But the whole story is a thread from Old Testament to New Testament of the rescuer. So every Old Testament story is in context, explaining Jesus. It's so beautiful. And the lovely thing is you turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it's the same story. You know, and it's really showing us. I've learned my theology from the storybook Bible, but it's giving me a real firm foundation to say this is the same story. It's been coming all along. And so therefore, has come, will come. And um, I don't want to, we don't have time to read through that 42 lots of 44 years, but if in your own time as part of Advent, read those names of Matthew 1 and feel those generations pass by, and we know those significant names, but feel that time. You can have hope. You know, there's a beautifulness in that waiting. That is the most beautiful list of names. Men and women, all sorts of interesting characters that are the heroes of our faith. But read that to just know um, the fact that they said the, those names are recorded before Jesus, but they all knew of his promise. Um, there's a real weight in that, and I think uh, that is really important to kind of feel that weight 
the wait, E-I-G-H-T word, of the waiting, the other word, because it speaks, the promise is coming, I can have hope, there is something to anticipate, there is something worth anticipating. Psalm 25.3 says, none who wait for God will be put to shame. And Advent is for waiting, but it is not for nothing. Uh, it is waiting without feeling that lack. It is not waiting in vain. And I really think we've lost that art of waiting uh, because it's something we need to cultivate in our, ourselves, in our children, in our communities, in our society, that ability to anticipate and savour. And I'm, I'm of a generation that hasn't always had the technology that requires you not to wait. And even I get impatient. We had um, dial-up. When we were first married, we lived on Banks Peninsula, which is a little bumpy bit on the South Island. And uh, we got dial-up, and you had to have a conversation about being off the phone and because of the one line, and then you had to wait for it to come through, and you wait for pictures to download like this. <laughs> but it was amazing, because, you know, before you wouldn't have even done anything like that, but, you know, wait, so then you'd go away and wait, and then because it was the country, sometimes it would fall off and you'd have to come back. But that's, that was the newest kind of technology, and that's like 16 years ago. Our kids... It's instant, so instant. And, but I can feel that impatience in myself, but I don't want to lose that ability to wait. We are obsessed with watching a TV program, and it's not coming back till January, which is a long time away. And I've been very, we've been happily binging it, and then the next one doesn't come up. And then you're like, oh. But that, remember the good old days when TV, the program was on, and then you had to wait for a week? And like, then it would come back, and then it had ads, and you had to wait through the ads? And that's when you go to the toilet or get a drink or do your homework or something. We're just, we've lost as a culture the art of waiting. And that is the cry of Advent, to learn to anticipate and to savour it again and wait. Because the manger is a symbol of promise. You can wait. There is something worth waiting for. He did come as promise. It's very accessible to us. And so as I said before, we kind of exist in the space between two Advents. It is come, will come. And we are waiting, and we need to not be afraid of that longing and that yearning. And we need to not be afraid of that already and not fully yet that we sit and be. It's actually okay to be in that space. So I really want you to be encouraged. Let hope be renewed for you. You don't have to pull it out of thin air. The hope is he promised he was coming, and he did, so he will again. And celebrate the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, with that expectancy. Face Christmas with hope and really cultivate that anticipation as you fight the doubt and despair and the uncertainty and the family and the finances and all the other stuff. It's a real act of healthiness to embrace Advent and embrace hope. So practically, for us, uh, we know that he is our living hope. Hope is a person, for us as Christians, hope is a person. It's not an empty wish. It's not actually even optimism or um, having a really good day. It's the fact that God has been faithful and that gives us a sense of hope. We can trust in the character of God. That's where our hope comes from. We can hope in his nature and the work he's done in our lives. You know, repeating the stories of his faithfulness builds hope. Reading the stories of his faithfulness builds hope, because otherwise our hope is a, a blind hope that's not sitting anywhere. Uh, Romans 15, 13, this is what's going to help you do this. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So may the God of hope, God himself is the source and supplier of hope. That's where it comes from.
He is the God of hope. So his essence and his nature is hope. He inspires hope. He authors hope. It's not based on probability, but on a promise. His hope is not what I can manage to make happen. He is hope. And then it talks about filling you. Let that hope fill you. And by this time of year, you will be feeling pretty empty. Let his hope fill you inwardly and settle within you. That will bring joy and rest and contentment, and that will help you give this ease to get through this crazy season. It's not about extroversion and and kind of trying to look like you got it together necessarily. It's just that calmness within you. Let that be um, evident within yourself. And the next part is about as you trust in him. Trust in him. Place. I always think of it when I place my hope in his hands, it's like this little tiny offering, and I place it into these very big hands. So he's not going to say, oh, thanks, Charlotte, I've got your hope. We can do it now. It's kind of like dropped into a big pool of nothing. I'm exchanging my little bit of hope, probably based on probability and holding on to everything I can manage, (laughs) into the hands of the person who is hope. Take his hope. Trust in him. And then it says, so that you may overflow. So on a good day, you're kind of like three quarters full, let alone overflow. This is encouraging us to even overflow with his hope. This is what people will see in us. And the answer is the hope is in a person. Said he would come, did come, will come. That's what it comes down to. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own power. So... In this really busy season that we are about to launch ourselves into, or in the middle of already, let's look forward with hope. Reflect on the fact that we haven't always placed our hope where it's been needed, but refresh ourselves with his promises. And let's redeem this season, because Advent is a separate time from Christmas. Advent is the waiting. Let's redeem that back and and really relish that waiting, and receive the gift of Advent, of hope. Um, that we can look back and look forward and be changed by that hope. Because hope does not disappoint. Romans 5.5, this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I saw this wonderful quote in my Advent readings from Bonhoeffer. So 90 years ago, he wrote in the Advent season, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul who keep themselves to be poor, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Isn't that beautiful? So I want to encourage you to look, man, sorry, I my <laughs> wee face is not coping in the heat. Look up. <laughs> That's what I want to encourage you to do, to look up. Our future security is in him. Hope is not a feeling. It's not an object. It's not an idea. Hope is a person. It's a son given to us. I want to finish with just praying an Advent prayer on you, and then I want to allow the space that's left. We're going to play the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is an Advent uh, hymn for this season, and the words are going to be on the PowerPoint. And I want you to sit through that song and just sift through some of the things I've said, all jumbled in there. These are the main things I want to think about, that your hope is in a person. Your hope is in a person who was promised and did come, so you can put your trust in him. Your hope is in someone who can overflow in you, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have hope. Uh, So uh, let's stand as we pray. Uh, God, we thank you for Advent, and Lord, we ask that you meet us in our waiting, the place where we long for what is not fully in view. Still our hearts and give us the ability to know that you are near. We believe your plans are good. 
we see it in the promise and the birth of your only son. But sometimes, Lord, we struggle to see beyond the haze that surrounds us. Renew our confidence as we lift our eyes to you. Be glorified in our life during this season of expectation. Lord, we wait and we anticipate and we hope. Amen. So be seated and we'll play, um, we'll play the hymn as you just sit and uh, reflect. Um, I've, um, we'll just do that. Nothing else. I'd like to finish by praying for you. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, the generations and thinking about the generations of my own family. My, my granddad, his name was Fred Beard. My dad's dad... Um, uh, he was a preacher uh, in the Methodist Church. He loved, he loved God so much. And my dad is a lay preacher, and I get to do this too. Yeah. And I was, um, I'm sorry, it's quite a moving thing. I hate crying. <laughs> I really moved today watching my son Joel speak as well, and just significance of family line. And I just wanted to pray over all of you because that, those generations that are listed in Matthew, that's our heritage. That's our heritage. Regardless of your earthly heritage, that's our heritage. And that heritage said a promise is coming. And the end of that line is Jesus. And, and he's, he, we belong to him. And I just wanted to uh, pray over you. Uh, this is how my granddad, when he would finish preaching, would pray with both his hands in the air. And, and pray over the church. So I'd like that. I'd like to do that for you, particularly just wanting to cover you in this, the specialness of the season as we go into these next two weeks. It's going to be tough out there. Don't go to the warehouse often. You know, <laughs> try and eleven o'clock is good. Try and hold it in. Oh, thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to pray of you like good Methodist preachers do. <laughs> Father God, I thank you for your hope. And I thank you that it's real, and I thank you that it is a person. And Lord, I just speak over our church that they would carry hope, they would know hope, and they would know who they are in you. Lord, thank you that you uh, promised you would come, and you did, and you will again, and that your kingdom is breaking in every single day. And Lord, we are a people who just sit, who sit in there and wait for it to fully come. So Lord, I just pray blessing over these people, that as they go into this season amidst all the craziness, they would know they carry hope, they would know that their lives are secure in you, and that they would know they can trust you because you're, um, you have proven yourself, you are faithful, and you have given yourselves to them. So Lord, protect them from the craziness that's out there and give them joy and peace in this season that they may know your presence over Advent and Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.